Praise God, it's good to be together this evening. Look around the room. I know many of you are going to spend time with family, but you're here with family first of all. And the family of God, it is good to be together. Amen? We are going to look at one passage tonight, and I'm going to keep you very long. But if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the Gospel of Luke. We have uh, been spending the last few uh, Sundays in Luke's Gospel, and um, as we've been walking through the season of Advent, Advent is really a season of preparation. It's It's a time when we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ, but tonight is a night of celebration. Tonight is a night that we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has come. And so we've been looking at the songs of Christmas. Uh, We talked about Mary's song, the Magnificat. We talked on Sunday about Zechariah's song, the Benedictus or the Blessing. But tonight I want to take you to a very popular Christmas passage uh, in Luke chapter 1. You know, growing up in, uh, in my house, we would always open presents on Christmas Eve. Anybody do that Christmas Eve? How many... Couple of Christmas Eve people. The rest of you, Christmas Day. Amen. It's like a Scandinavian tradition that we open up the presents on Christmas Eve. But in my house, there was another tradition. It was always before we could open the present, we would read from Luke chapter two. Actually, we'd read uh, the story of Christmas. I knew that. My my kids knew that. Right? Grandpa said we got to read through (laughs) Luke chapter two uh, before we open any presents. So I'm going to take you there actually tonight, and uh, I want to read this passage to you and just share a few thoughts to you tonight. But it's a uh, a, a very popular passage, but we're going to look tonight at, at one more song. It's the angel's song to the shepherds that were in the fields. Luke chapter 2 says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. We're told by Luke in this passage here that in those days, In other words, this happened in a specific time and place. This is not uh, once upon a time. 
This is not a fairy tale here tonight. This is real. A decree goes out from Caesar Augustus. It's, it's amazing because the story of Jesus' birth actually happens during the reign of one of the most remarkable men in ancient history, Caesar Augustus. And he puts out this decree that all of the world should be registered. For decades, this area of the world, the area that Jesus would be born into, was plagued by uh, destruction and brutality and immorality. This area was worn out from 20 years of civil war. But this decree goes out from Caesar Augustus, and it, it almost seems to change the chaos of that time in a very real way. Because Caesar brings some things at that time that really changed the world dramatically. Because we know this, first of all, he brought peace. He conquered all his rivals, right? There was this sense of peace in that time. He had a political skill with the way that he ran things and, and ro- the way that Rome was ran, run. He brought large sums of money from Egypt to pay the soldiers, and it really helped the Roman economy. And so this is the time in which Jesus is going to be born. It's a time after a long series of wars where finally there's some political unity And this internal peace, which Caesar Augustus achieves, is going to last for about 200 years. What was known at that time as Pax Romana, or Roman peace. And it really sets the groundwork for the spread of Christianity throughout this area. And this is important to understand because when we look at the world that Jesus was born into, it was a world that was hungry for a savior. In a sense, they were under the reign of a a political savior in Caesar Augustus, but of course the Jews didn't see it that way, right? And and we really know this, that as much as Caesar brought a sense of peace, he could not bring lasting peace. Where there had been failures in previous government, he just added more government, and government was not the answer. I think we understand that today, right? Government is not the answer. It's not the answer for peace in our lives. But it's amazing because as we read the text... We see that the world responds to this command of Caesar Augustus. And everyone goes to his his hometown to be registered. It's pretty impressive if you think about it. One man gives a command and the whole world responds. He seems like a, a very powerful man, but we know this. In reality, Caesar Augustus wasn't really that powerful at all. John chapter 19, Jesus is confronted by a Roman ruler by the name of Pilate. And Pilate says to Jesus, he says, Don't you know I have the power to crucify you? or the power to release you, and Jesus simply says, you would have no power at all unless it was given to you by God. And that's the same principle at work here. Whatever power was given to Caesar in this time was given by God for a reason, and so for all of the accomplishments of Caesar Augustus, he couldn't really be the answer. He couldn't really bring a lasting peace. We talked last week about how John the Baptist, how he prepared the way for Jesus, right? And in many ways, God allows Caesar Augustus to rise to this level of power. And in some ways, he was like a Roman John the Baptist. He's preparing the groundwork for Jesus. Because the peace of that time, again, it allows eventually for the spread of the gospel. And and so while we see Caesar's name here, I want you to know tonight, at the end of the story, he's not who's important, right? Jesus is. Who does the world know more about today, Jesus or Caesar Augustus? Jesus, right? Who has a lasting legacy? It's Jesus, right? And so in response to this census, everyone goes to their own town, and Mary and Joseph head to Bethlehem. Now, the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is just outside of Jerusalem, is only about 80 miles. So to us, it's a quick drive, right? I'll be there in an hour and a half, right? But in those days, this is a significant journey. 
And we often think of, of Mary as she's traveling on that journey as, as being very close to delivery. That might not have been the case. I, I think it's likely that Joseph, though, was just anxious to get out of Nazareth. He's anxious to get away from all of the gossip because Luke tells us there that the days were completed for her to give birth. While they're in Bethlehem, those days are completed. According to, to Roman law, Mary didn't have to travel with Joseph for the census, but it makes sense for her to go, especially because she's in the later stages of a very controversial pregnancy. It's a lot of gossip in Nazareth. But while they're there in Bethlehem, the time comes for her to give birth, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Now, the fact that Luke describes Jesus as her firstborn son tells us the logical conclusion is Mary had other children, right? Now, that goes against the Roman Catholic teaching of perpetual virginity. That Mary remained a virgin her whole life, right? But we know from Scripture, other places, Jesus had siblings, okay? And so here's Mary. She takes her firstborn son, and she wraps him in strips of cloth, and he's laid in a manger. We think of this cute little manger, but it's really probably a stone-hewn, cut-out feeding trough for animals. And the word translated in our text, swaddling cloth, comes from an ancient word, an ancient Greek word that means to tear, meaning these were torn pieces of cloth. They didn't even have one big piece. These are torn pieces that are wrapped together around Jesus, very similar to what would be wrapped around him when he was laid in the tomb. And here's the Savior of the world. Think about this. The Savior of the world lying in a feeding trough because there's no room for him in the inn. This moment is very symbolic of what happened to Jesus throughout his life because we know that at the end of his life, the only place where there was room for Jesus was on a cross. But as you read there in Luke chapter 2, all of a sudden, it's like the camera pans from, from that, that manger and, and that scene, all of a sudden, the camera shifts outside of the city of Bethlehem to the outskirts, to the fields. We're told in that same region, that same area, there were shepherds out in the fields and they're keeping watch over their flocks by night. Here's the thing about Bethlehem's shepherds. They were known for taking care of the temple flock. In other words, these were men who were caring for lambs that would be used as a sacrifice in the temple. And so they're very aware of the need for a sacrifice. They're very aware of the demand for a lamb. It was amazing the last time we were in Israel together and we went out to Bethlehem. We had a very short time to get out to the shepherd's fields. But our, our tour guide shared with us there that oftentimes because they were raising these lambs for the temple and they wanted them to be perfect, they would often take strips of cloth and they would wrap the legs so that there would be no scars, no bruising on the legs, keep the legs safe for sacrifice, right? And so here are these same shepherds now finding a baby lying in a trough, wrapped in swaddling strips of cloth. With that in mind, I want you to re read that main part of the text again. I want you to hear this. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. In the middle of this quiet night, out in those, those shepherd's fields, all of a sudden 
these guys are interrupted by the glory of God. And the, and the first angel shows up and he brings good tidings. It, it means he, he kind of preaches the gospel to them, to the shepherds, to these men that were regarded as social outcasts. And so the message of the angels is brought to these men who had a bad reputation, these men who were considered unreliable. Their testimony wasn't even allowed in a court of law. That's how they were viewed. And they announced to these men, the angel announces to these men the birth of a savior, which was, can I just say, it, it still is exactly what we need today, a savior. I, I don't believe tonight we need another committee, we need another advisor, we need another counselor. Our greatest need is for a savior, amen? But after the single angel makes the announcement, it's almost like the heavens are pulled back and these men get a glimpse, I don't think of, of something so unique, I think they get a glimpse of what has been taking place all along. The angels are rejoicing and these heavenly hosts proclaim through the angel, God tells the shepherds the meaning of the most significant event in the history of the world and it's simple, it's this, it's peace. Jesus' birth is to bring peace or shalom. That was the message from the angels to the shepherds, and through them it comes to us tonight. And here's what you need to understand, that Christ's coming means peace. You could say, well, pastor, if Christ's coming means peace, then why is there still war today? But this is a different kind of peace. It's a different kind of peace, and it's not necessarily the abolition of war. Jews in Israel today still greet each other by saying, Shalom, you know it. How do you know that? You live in Rockland County, right? Shalom, right? And, and if you want to wish somebody something, there's nothing better than wishing someone shalom or blessings or, or fullness. But here's what I want you to understand tonight. As, as we look at the angel's song, that the peace that the angels speak about or sing about is not for everyone. Now, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, the Greek word that's used here for all people is the word laos, which comes from the word laity. Now, when we hear the word laity, we also often think of clergy, right, and, and, and laity, as if laity are somehow second-class Christians, and the clergy are up here. Well, you get the point, right? But in reality, Laos or this, it's all the people of God. Laos was the, the word used to describe the Israelites. They were God's special people. They were his chosen people. But now it's used to describe the new Israel. We are God's chosen people. And really the best translation of this message from the angels is really this. Peace among men and women as well. Peace among men who are the recipients of God's good pleasure. In other words, if you're able to receive what God wants to give you, the message of peace is for you. Let me say that again. If you're able to receive what God wants to give you, the message of peace is for you. And we want to say, well, isn't this message of peace for all? I, I think you could say, well, it may be announced to all, but it's only when we receive what God wants to give us that we actually have peace. You see, the angel tells these lowly shepherds that this peace was going to come by a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this baby they're going to find in the manger has a common name. His name is Jesus, right? A very common name for that time. Uh, it simply means the Lord is salvation. But I want you to see the fact that the angel uses three names actually to identify the one who's going to bring this peace. And the first word is, is Savior. A Hebrew word meaning rescuer. He's going to be a rescuer. 
But he also uses the word Christ. It's a Greek word meaning the anointed one or the chosen one. And the final word was used by Greek-speaking Hebrews to refer to God himself. And so this baby that they would find in a feeding trough, this Jesus, was to be rescuer. He is the anointed one. He's God himself, and he's the one who brings peace. But when we talk about peace on Christmas, the real question is, how does this peace come into our lives today? You see, the angels predicted very simply that this peace will come when we give glory to God in the highest. This peace, this heavenly peace, it doesn't come from uh, taking out all our enemies, right? This peace doesn't come uh, when we just all of a sudden feel like, I'm going to bless my neighbor today. I got peace. No, the angels give us the condition for true peace. It comes when we give glory to God in the highest. The tragedy today is that we've made war so glorious and we've made peace so uninteresting or dull, right? How many movies glamorize war, but really the ultimate purpose of war is to find peace, right? And so each of us tonight, we have this desire for peace. Uh, Again, Caesar, the ruler in this time, he brings Pax Romana, he brings Roman peace, but that was never going to be a lasting peace, and that could never bring eternal peace, true peace, lasting peace is a gift that only God can give to us. And at the same time, it's the only things that that our heart truly longs for. But again, how surprising that this message of peace is entrusted to a despised class of people, those who were the outcasts from society. Oh, maybe these, these particular shepherds, maybe they were pious Jews, But again, they were part of an outcast class of society through whom God chooses to reveal the meaning of Christ's birth. There's an old saying that, that war is too important to be left to the generals. But I believe that peace is too important to be left to the generals. Peace is too important to be left to the government because the professionals, they mess it up time and time again. But I want you to understand tonight, as God gives this message to the shepherds, he's passing right by those who would be considered the professional peacemakers of the day. He's passing by the religious leaders of the day. He's passing by the palace. He gives this message of peace to amateurs because we need amateur peacemakers. And here's the reality for all that the diplomats of, of 2,000 years ago did to try to create peace in Rome. Those things eventually fell apart and those things are forgotten. But today our world still reverberates and tonight our world reverberates with the peacemaking message of a group of amateur preachers and peacemakers, men like the Apostle Paul and even Luke tonight. And so as we look at the word of God, we understand this tonight, that Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is also called the reconciler. In reconciliation, that which is broken now comes together. Hear me, whether or not you believe in the devil tonight, there is an evil force that is at work in our world trying to bring division, right? Division in families, divisions in, in neighborhoods, division even in our nation at large. But our God is a God of peace. And the lesson God has for all of us especially in this song of the angels, 
is that in order to have any true and lasting peace, we first of all need to make peace with God. That's where peace begins. There's, there's no lasting peace with others until you first make peace with God because that's where peace begins. And you may be here tonight and, man, you, you just came here to please somebody or somebody forced you to come through these doors. Maybe if you're honest, you're running from God, you're afraid of God. The angel says to this group of outcasts, he says, fear not. And if you're here tonight and you're running from God, I love the way Francis Thompson portrays God. He calls him the hound of heaven. Hound of heaven, he seeks you out. And maybe tonight you just need to stand still and let him catch up with you. Stop running from him. You want peace in your life? Allow the prince of peace to come. He wants to bring you a lasting peace. Maybe, maybe you've been caught up so much in the busyness even of, of the Christmas season that, that you've missed the fact that Jesus came to a manger so that he could go to a cross. He, he came to a manger so he could go to a cross so he could deal with your sin in the person and the work of Jesus Christ has been dealt with and his grace is sufficient. You know, one of the things I love most about Christmas is it's a time when people come home but I want to tell you tonight that because Jesus came and he dealt with your sin, you can come home to him. You can belong to him. You can have peace in your life tonight. Whatever you've done, regardless of what you've done, you can come home tonight. And you can be reconciled to your heavenly father in heaven who loves you and wants to give you peace. The final verse of our passage tonight says that after the shepherds had seen all these wondrous things, they returned. In other words, they went back to where they came from. And that's true for every one of us. Christmas break's going to be over, and we're going to go back, right? But even as they go back, they continue to celebrate the events. <laughs> they, they continue to declare what God has done for them. How about you? When the events of Christmas are over, will you go back to your homes and your jobs and your schools and declare the wondrous things Christ has done in your life. Listen to me tonight. If we truly believe the message of the angels, then we ought to go back to the ordinary as peacemakers. We ought to go with the message, right, of peace to those who need to hear it. Would you stand with me as we prepare to close in just a moment? I want to read to you a, a wonderful poem about Christmas, and then we're going to take some time to sing some hymns tonight around candlelight. But I want you to hear this, this poem tonight by Joseph Baylor. He says this, praise God for Christmas. Praise him for the incantation, for, for the incarnation, for the word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds watching flocks on frosty nights or angel choirsters. I will not sing of a stable bear in Bethlehem or lowly oxen, wise men trailing star with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Tonight I will sing praises to the Father who stood on heaven's throne and said farewell to his son. As he stepped across the stars of Bethlehem and Jerusalem, I will sing praise to the infinite eternal son who became the most finite, a baby who would one day be executed for my crimes. Praise him in the heavens. Praise him in the stable. Praise him in my heart. I'm gonna challenge you tonight because you've heard a very familiar Christmas story. And the temptation tonight is to sing a very familiar Christmas song and go do a very familiar Christmas tradition, right? 
But the poet's saying here, and I want to echo it to you tonight, don't just go through the motions this Christmas. Praise God for the gift of his son. Praise him in the heavens, yes, but praise him in your heart for the gift of peace that you have received. And if you haven't received it, I want to tell you, you can do that right now. It's simply by faith in the person of Jesus Christ, by believing that he came. And, and he paid the price for your sin on the cross. Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Scripture says you will be saved. As we close in worship in just a moment, we're going to light a candle. And the one candle is symbolic here of Jesus who came for us. And we're going to start spreading that light around this room. We want to do it slowly. We've got time, all right? But we're going to watch this light spread. So I'm going to ask my wife to come with the one candle. And I'm going to read to you a passage of scripture before we we sing. And then we're going to let that light pass. Maybe we bring the lights down. I got my phone here. I can see the scripture. Let's bring the lights down in the house. I'm going to read to you from John's gospel, John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of man, or of the flesh, but of God. And listen to this, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, this was the one whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side, but he has made known to us as we worship tonight. I want you to thank him for that light coming into the world. But as you hold the light tonight, understand now you are the light of the world. That same message that was given to the shepherds who felt like outcasts. How many of you ever feel like an outcast? (laughs) But that's our, that's our message to carry tonight. And so as we sing, let's just focus in and thank Jesus tonight.